Hey, welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pekulski. Thank you very much for giving us your time. Today's podcast is going to be an amazing conversation with a world champion powerlifter. You guys know her by the name of Steffi Cohen, an absolute legend of a human being who just continues to persist and drive to accomplish so many incredible things in her life. We dive into how she managed to get from you know 110 pounds soaking wet to being one of the strongest females to ever walk the face of the earth, maybe pound for pound the strongest. And she's absolutely just a phenomenal person as well. You guys will love her. She's got an amazing physique. She's got an amazing business. She's got an amazing attitude toward life. And she's inspiring a new generation of young, intelligent fitness enthusiasts. She's also got a PhD in physical therapy and really something valuable to contribute to the conversation. I'm so grateful to have Steph and her fiance Hayden on the show to chat a little bit about fitness, chat a little bit about business, and really how you can continue to grow and ascend through the ranks of this challenging fitness industry that exists. Today's podcast is brought to you by By Optimizers. Guys, you know that By Optimizers have been a longtime sponsor of the show, and they're that way for a reason because a lot of people like them. A lot of people picking up Mass Zymes right now. I've been using Mass Zymes for the better part of five years since they started a long, long time ago. And the reason I use Mass Zymes is when you're trying to build muscle, it's not just about how much you consume, it's how much your body can actually absorb and assimilate. So to help break down the protein that you're consuming, we're going to throw in some digestive enzymes with meals. And usually I'll take in the range of three to four per meal, especially when I'm having a larger protein meal. Now, here's the catch. If you're someone who has any type of joint pain or inflammation or digestive issues and bloating, throwing in some between meals or when you're fasting is a fantastic way to start breaking down inflammation around the joints. So proteins that are left undigested can wreak havoc in the body and attach to certain tissues in the body, causing inflammation and damage. So one of the best known ways for years and years and years is taking proteolytic enzymes to significantly decrease joint pain and inflammation. So if you're someone who's experiencing that in any way, this is my go-to above everything else. So above any type of inflammatory meds, above fish oils, above glucosamine chondroitin, this is always my number one recommendation is to have somebody take a slightly higher dose of proteolytic enzymes either between meals or on an empty stomach. I take them first thing in the morning, usually before I train, and I'll take about 10 because I'm looking for a pretty big anti-inflammatory response. And you guys will notice the pain relief is almost immediate. So I suggest you guys head over to buyoptimizers.com and you can use the code MUSCLE10 to get yourself 10% off. And you can also head to magbreakthrough.com, which is their amazing magnesium blend of all the different chelates of magnesium. Uh, for now, start off with mast enzymes because I think uh, it's an essential part of everyone's supplement library. Enjoy this conversation with the amazing, the talented, the beautiful Steffi Cohen. So we had the pleasure of chatting yesterday about me, you asking me questions, and now I get to just throw it back at you. Looking forward to it. I'm going to make it difficult. Actually, I'm very interested, Steph, in what the hell a little human being who's beautiful and feminine led you to decide I want to be the world's strongest human. That's a really interesting dichotomy. I think it's awesome, and you're an amazing athlete, and that's the beautiful thing what everyone loves of you. It's like you're not just extremely strong. You're able to maintain this athleticism. Well, I appreciate the compliment, Ben. You know, for me, I've, I've always had the type of personality that, I don't know, I'm just kind of drawn to doing things that are outside the norm, just outside of what's expected. I've always been kind of a contrarian or a rebel, you know, ever since I've, I, I have a recollection of my That's memories. That's why we like each other. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, and so from a very young age, I've always been drawn to more masculine sports. I started in soccer, did some motocross, loved just hanging with the dudes and being sweaty and just playing sports and just doing whatever girls weren't supposed to do, quote unquote. And so I actually had never been exposed to lifting weights. That was just not something that, like I said, it was it was almost frowned upon for women. I grew up in Venezuela to lift weights and be muscular and look actually different. And when I moved into the States, there was the craze of CrossFit. I stopped playing soccer to focus more on my education. Actually, I went to school with Noah Olson, who's a, a professional CrossFitter, and he was the one who introduced me to it. And I just saw these other girls that were jacked and were so focused on performance and were focused on their health and 
didn't really care about how they looked. And I found that so just empowering and, and powerful. At that time in my life, I was going through like low self-esteem, binge eating disorders, just not feeling comfortable in who I was, how I looked. And I felt like the change from focusing on how my body looked to what my body could do would be a, a positive thing for me. So I went from doing eight half marathons a year, literally with the, with the sole purpose of burning calories. That's the wrong reason to do a, a marathon. Yeah, was I trying to be competitive? Of course, like I was training my ass off, but I don't think I was either fueling myself appropriately and it was very self-destructive, right? Like I was almost just everything I ate, I wanted to burn and how many miles I did in a day were more so equivalent with how many calories I ate rather than what was the mileage I needed to improve my time. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. So changing my mindset and finally for the first time in, you know, 10 years, changing my mindset from just trying to please some society to look a certain way to just, Hey, I'm just going to do what feels good to me. I'm going to lift weights. I'm going to get huge. I'm going to, I want to build some mass was super empowering to me as, as a small female. So I think in like a matter of a couple of years, I went from weighing a hundred pounds and running, I don't know, who knows, 15 miles of 20 miles a week to not running at all or running whatever in the CrossFit gyms and putting on like 20 pounds of muscle mass. That message is so powerful. And honestly, there's so few people talking about it. Is that part of what you guys teach in hybrid? I mean, I talk a lot about that, but I don't think it's like part of... I think it should be. I, I think like taking people away from this societal expectation of like you have to look a certain way. And this is what I teach, right? It's like if you learn how to train hard, what you eat matters so much less. Right. And you get it. Like you still have to watch what you eat, of course. But now it's from a perspective of I just want to fuel my body. I want my body to feel amazing because I want to be able to perform really well. That reversal of expectations and, and society's norms, I think, should be perpetuated so much more in the fitness industry. Is that something you find is perpetuating CrossFit? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, absolutely. I think 100% of their focus is on, on performance. But here's the thing. Even the people that you see that – because Instagram is a highlight reel. Sure. So even the girls that you see that are, that you think that are super confident and they're, that love themselves, they likely don't because women and men in fitness, but I think more commonly women just struggle a lot with their self-image and self-love and being comfortable in their own skin. You know, I think that's the thing. It's, it's, it's a taboo topic. People don't want to talk about it. People don't want to make themselves vulnerable and open to criticism or they just don't want to admit how they truly feel. And independently of how much you want to tell yourself, well, I'm focused on performance. I don't care about the way I look. Even at, you know, the points where I've been the strongest, which are not the points where I've been the leanest, I think that I've still felt a little bit uncomfortable in how I looked. The thing is, I don't know. I think it's just part of the human experience. I, I think it's okay. I don't think you always have to be 100% fine with how you look. I think the only emotion as humans, it's almost like society only allows us to feel one way or it's only acceptable to feel one way and that's happiness. And all the other emotions, like we just kind of have to force down and not show it and it's wrong if we feel them. But I don't think that a little bit of insecurity or a little bit of self-doubt or a little bit of sadness is bad. I think that's what fuels you to keep going, that fuels you to, to strive for more. You know? Brilliant. I think there's something to be said about rather than striving to look a certain way, striving, striving to accomplish something on a day-to-day -day basis, right? And this is just something I build in my kids. I'm like, something today for your body, something for your mind, something for your soul, feeling like you're moving towards something, right? Like, so what did you accomplish today? It doesn't have to be I look a certain way or I feel a certain way. It's like, oh, I just did this something that was really great for me today. And you're getting that dopamine hit in your brain constantly. And there's something to be said about that messaging. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so. something that we preach with the, our nutrition coaching, but it's more so the physical transformations and stuff like that. And even with CrossFit, I think too, a lot of what draws people into it initially is people's physiques and the way they look and also the way they perform. But once we get so people sort of inside of our system, you know, our coaches are all preaching all of that positive stuff. But it's a lot. I think the biggest obstacle for our nutrition coaches is just reframing the way people think about things but it, it is definitely the goal to go back to your 
uh, initial question. And it's so hard to change the way people think. And this is a, this is a big part of my messaging right now is like this idea of beliefs, identity, and habits. Like what are your beliefs? Who do you think you are? And what are the habits that are that are making you become that way? And those are the things you have to change, right? And there may be emotions and stuff in there as well, but like that's a big part of the messaging is like people are missing, like everyone's going after the transformation, but they're missing the identity, the beliefs, and the habits. And, and if, we can, if we can interject somewhere and change the beliefs, identity, and habits, you can start to change somebody's ex physical expression of themselves without having to go after the, the diet as hard, without having to go after the training as hard. They'll just kind of naturally fall into place. I think maybe that might be a huge part of what makes the strength sports, CrossFit, powerlifting, whatever people get into, what gives it the ability to make to help people reframe that because it, it does become part of your identity. Yeah. And it's we just had James Clear on the podcast and he's talking about that, right? Building habits starts with, you know, trying to change your identity. I'm not, you know, I'm not someone who exercises, you know, I'm a I'm an athlete, you know, or I'm a reader, you know. So I think doing that, like CrossFit was able to help you do that. You know, you got get into it or you get into weightlifting, you're like, now I'm a weightlifter. Yeah. My focus isn't somebody who lifts to for a means to an end. It's just what you do. And then you sort of get to shape the rest of your lifestyle around that to help push that goal forward. Figuring out what goal you want to achieve is also a matter of figuring out what matters to you, right? What's your why? And why is that relevant to you? I think that's a question people need to ask themselves as well. So oh, you, I mean, you, do you want to be lean? Why do you want to be lean? Are you trying to prove something? Are you unhappy with who you are? Do you think being lean is going to lead to you being happy? So I think a lot of it has to do, like you have to do some introspection, figure out why it is that you want to accomplish a certain goal and not simply just try to copy what other people's goals are. Yeah. You know? And I think that, that leanness a step further is I'll go, okay, forget about that. Like what would be the habit? that would lead you to becoming lean. So I don't want you to think about even being lean. Let's let's just put that somewhere way off in the distance. I don't even care if that happens. What would be the habits? Like what, what are the habits that are causing you to not be lean and how can we replace those with ones that would be lean? So you walk around at certainly 10 or 12% body fat all year round. Okay, what are the habits that Steph would have that on a day-to-day -day basis would allow her to be lean all the time? And rather than focusing on like, oh, what diet is it going to be? Fuck the diet. Forget about the diet. What are the habits? Who, who's the person that you are that allows you to be lean and happy with the way you look 99% of the time? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, one of the questions people wanted me to ask was how you went from you know, being an, a successful runner, crossfitter to being you know, ultimately the strongest woman on the planet. That's a huge gap and it didn't take you a long time. And I think acknowledging that there was probably some very particular beliefs, some part of your identity and some habits. Yeah. So, I've always identified myself as an athlete, you know, since I was eight. And when I quit playing soccer, I kind of wasn't ready to let go of that part of my identity. So, that be I began kind of starting a quest for what was the next thing I could do, but not only for, for fun. Like for me, it was a quest for hate. You were hate. scoring 300 when you were eight, weren't you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, hadn't, I, hadn't <laughs> I didn't touch a weight until I was 20-ish. But you did squat 300 pounds prior to even starting powerlifting. Yeah. But whatever, but that's not where I'm going. So I was on this quest just looking for what what's the next thing that I'm going to do that I have the potential to be really, really, really good at. And that led to a lot of experimentation and trial and error, which I think is something that a lot of people don't even allow themselves to do. Maybe it's because of the fear of failure or maybe it's because, you know, I think we've been ingrained with this belief that quitting something is bad. You know, if you quit something, you're, that makes you a quitter. And I just never believed that, you know, I, I always thought that there's a difference between quitting because you're a quitter and knowing when to let something go because objectively you realize that it's just not something you have an aptitude for. I personally, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've known people in bodybuilding with a, a similar, you know, mindset. You'll have somebody who's been doing Olympic weightlifting for, you know, five years. They're lifting less than, than you did in your first year, you know, and you ask them what their goal is and they say to go to the Olympics, you know, and it's like people, there's that aptitude and genetics component that so few people are willing to admit to themselves that they don't have. And so they'll just stay with something they're bad at. And if you're, if you're doing it because you enjoy it, then all the power to you. But, you know, if you're telling people your goal is to go to the Olympics and you don't have the ability to 
to realize that that's not realistic. They've just maybe never been exposed to like, I've been exposed to so many freak show athletes. You just realize like either you got it or you don't. Yeah. yeah there's just a different gear. There's like three gears that they have that, that most people just don't. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously like the, there's. Like you. <laughs> you're, you're the thing that holds you back the most is us having to drag you out of the gym. Yeah. Like you'll be in there for six hours yeah. if we don't pull you out. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's a difference, right? It, if you want to do something recreationally, then whatever, do whatever you want to do. If you're wanting to get good at something, then you need to have a system to identify whether or not you even have the capability to becoming really good. So there's a few things there. And I talk about this often. It's I break it down into three things. So it's skills, talents, and passion, right? So your talents are aptitudes that you're born with, you know, just something that you have a natural inclination for, you know, something that comes easy for you. Tiger Woods, for example, it's golf, obviously. Like he played since he was one month old and he was already good when he was a year old kind of thing. He was in improving exponentially. Obviously he has an aptitude for that. And then a skill is something that you can improve on with practice that you actually can improve. Like I've, I've seen people who no matter how much they try, they will never be able to swing a golf club looking moderately athletic. And then your passion is something that you're interested in. I think the main mistake people make is that they place so much weight and value to the passion component. Why? Because we're in the society that tells us do what you love you and that you can do anything, do what you love. And that's such bullshit because <laughs> doing what you love is not enough because you can do what you love and suck. And guess what? You're going to hate it. So you're only going to love things that you're good at. So see if you see it as kind of like these, these three kind of layers or three three columns yeah that you're trying to fill right for me it was a matter okay i'm running i'm i'm training for this triathlon do i have the skills for it am i able to improve on the things that require me to be a good triathlete yes no or maybe okay i kind of like gauge it yeah from a 1 to 10 then do i have a talent for it am i a person who has more type 1 fibers like am i good at endurance sports can i last 4 hours on a bike do i have the mental strength to do that do I even want to do that, right? And then the passion, am I genuinely enjoying this or am I trying to do it to prove something? And it, it doesn't matter, right? Like I don't have to genuinely enjoy it 100% and maybe it could be at 50. But anyway, you kind of just like gauge everything you do based on those three things. And you might have to trade off, take number two or three on your passion list, you know, it, and because it's a number one on aptitude or something like that. Right. You know, it doesn't mean you have to do something that makes you miserable, but it's just balancing those three three different right. variables. So anyway, trial and error, figuring out how can you better balance out those three different aspects. And that's kind of what I did. You know, when I was jumping from sport to sport, I quit a bunch of times to the point where my ex-boyfriend at the time used to call me a quitter. He's like, oh, Steph, like, why would you even buy rollerblades if you, you don't stick with anything? And initially I believed that. I'm like, oh shit, yeah, maybe you're right. You know, I you're right. I bought myself a bike and I only used it for a year. I didn't really stick with it. Or yeah, you're right. I, I got myself a CrossFit membership and I only went for six months or whatever it was. And I almost believed him. And then it took me until after I, we broke up to be like, dude, you know what? He was so wrong. I'm not a quitter. I'm someone who knows when to get out. And that's it, for the purpose of finding a realist. I'm, I'm, I'm getting out for the purpose of moving on to something that I think I can excel at. And that's kind of how I landed in powerlifting, you know. Is it the sport that I enjoy the most? Absolutely not. I find it extremely boring, but I'm really good at it and I like winning. So that makes my enjoyment go up, you know, when I compete and I achieve things that boosts my ego, makes me feel empowered and strong and good about myself. And I had, I think I had a genuine aptitude for it, eh? Like the first time that I... The first time, so the first time... I actually convinced her to start doing powerlifting because she was doing Olympic weightlifting in grad school. And anyone who's ever done Olympic weightlifting just knows how mentally taxing a, of a sport that is. So you have to be so sharp every time you come in. And not to say that powerlifting is easy mentally, but it's just different, right? Sure. It's it's more of a grind than it is having to be super sharp all the time. And so I was like, why don't you just, you know, in weightlifting, you're having to train nine times a week. You know, you're doing two a days. It's it's so much time and and an effort and you have all this other stuff going on maybe just step back and focus on strength i was doing powerlifting at the time and i'm like why don't you 
join me and just hop on the, the, the powerlifting training cycle that we're doing. So we're in there the first day. I'm like, okay, this is a sumo deadlift. You know, this is how you do it. You know, I don't have the, a good body type for sumo deadlift, you know, so immediately she already looked better than I did the first time she tried. And I was just like, go, let's go for like a heavy single, see what you can do. And she pulled 315. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, it's safe <laughs> to say the aptitude's there. I think you should probably stick so with this. So she had been pretty experienced in Olympic lifting. So there, there, was, there would have been a, a crossover from, you know, from yeah, squatting. It was very little, like no heavy pulling, no heavy, really not, no heavy, heavy anything. She had like basically a three-year-long accumulation phase of squat. I got, I got blue balls of lifting. <laughs> yeah. I had lifting blue balls. You know, right. I was always in that like 80, 85 percent, like yeah. the T's, never maxing, but always building. Skill-based. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, yeah, that was just the way that we lift, more, most weightlifters train like traditionally. And we were just talking about it the other day is her physique, her upper body has obviously changed a ton through powerlifting. But her lower body almost looked the same. Like she had these Christmas ham quads and then this this little little weightlifter upper body, <laughs> you know, and it, it, you've gone through a real transformation. But definitely the uh, the squat-based leg strength was there and then it was figuring out the all the other stuff. And bench was it was a bit of a struggle. Yeah. So so yeah. So that's how kind of how I landed in powerlifting. Just powerlifting found me. That's what I always say. He introduced me to it. I was really good, and I was like, okay, you know what? I like winning. I like being good at something. Yeah. I'm just gonna go for it. So one of the questions that came in was like, hey, well, how did you eat, and what were the things that, that you know, like, how was your diet? I'm not gonna ask you that because I think it's old and, and tired. But what I do want to ask you is. Is there anything that pops out in your mind as being something that you did that made a big difference in your ability to acquire more strength? So, like something that allowed you to have maybe an exponential leap, whether that be, hey, I started taking creatine, whether that be like, hey, I started this new specific training program, or hey, I backed off on my training. And obviously, there could be different times throughout the journey where like this really helped at this time and it may not have helped later. But I'm curious if there's anything that stands out as being like, hey, I did this and I started to just really change. Yeah. So, interested to hear what you say. Yeah. And then and I was going to see, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what my perspective is watching you. After. Yeah. See if, it, see if it lines up. Okay. Well, there was a huge spike in strength increase when I started tracking my macros for the first time really re re religiously, mainly because I noticed I just wasn't eating enough carbs to fuel my workouts. How and much I, is enough? I think at that time it was around like 180 or 200. You know, nothing crazy. It's not like I'm running a marathon, but I was probably eating less than 100, had a really high fat diet um, unknowingly. And definitely wasn't timing my food appropriately. Like I would eat at noon and then train at six and like nothing in between kind of thing. So it's definitely you not. That doesn't work? Huh? No. Intermittent it fasting. You know, it didn't work for, for this particular purpose. But uh, yeah, so tracking my macros, being more mindful of the timing of my meals was huge. Changing the composition of my diet. So I went, when I discovered uh, calorie in, calorie out, IFYM, I, I feel like I got way too far into how can I maximize, you know, how can I eat as much food as possible while staying within these calories and just started eating foods that weren't food kind of thing, you know, a bunch of like special K chips and like low fat cottage cheese and zero fat this, zero fat that to a point where I was literally just not eating real food right. anymore. I was just snacking all day long. So then the transition from when I realized, oh shit, I'm just doing this kind of accounting for my macros and not paying attention to what's in my food, what can actually be good for my health. Right. So that was another cha change that I made. I was avoiding red meats because of the cal the fat in red meat, just right. eating a bunch of like tuna, tilapia, chicken. And seriously, like my, my health just was deteriorating very slowly. I just felt very sluggish and lethargic and my workouts felt like crap and I wasn't recovering well. So the change from not only paying attention to the, the composition of the food, but then also the nutrient value of it also I think benefit me a lot, at least on the recovery side and energy side. What else have I done differently? I think what was hugely beneficial for you, you know, after obviously she had a, a base, like a, the, you know, she had a lot of lifting skill already, you squatted all frequently and all that stuff. But I think changing early on to a high intensity training program made a huge difference for you. So heavier loads. Yeah. So, I mean, she went from, from squatting sub-maximally, almost never pulling or pulling light, like doing things like clean pull and snatch pull, where the emphasis is speed, and then no bench because in weightlifting, they think that you know if you do a bench press once, you're not going to be able to put your hands over your head, to going heavy 
all the time. She ran uh, your, she ran small of squat for like a year and a half. <laughs> on repeat. On repeat, you know, and she take you take a week or two off in between each cycle, but anyone who's done small of knows that that is a motherfucker of a program. Yeah. So how much did that three year foundation play into that, right? That that you know, sub max squatting, mastering the skill. Like do you think if you hadn't mastered the skill that would have been nearly as effective? Yeah, absolutely. I mean well, you know, was, if you if you hadn't mastered the skill, if I hadn't mastered the skill of squatting and moving with a yeah. bar, it would have been way way slower way, progress. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that actually goes into something we were talking about earlier, which was people they ask the wrong question a lot of the times when they're asking about training. They ask, you know, they'll see somebody like Steffi or Yuri Belkin, and they'll ask, "What what does your training look like now?" No, who cares, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's like now it doesn't matter. Yuri Belkin lifts three times a week. Yeah, you know, yeah. Steffi's. Yeah, that's another thing that I've that I learned that has that has helped me continuously improve is just understanding that what took you from A to B is not the same that's going to take you from B to C. Like people, I'm not going to even mention names, but people save their training logs and then they think that if they open that training log five, seven years later and they try to repeat what they did, it's going to be, it's going to work the same way. You're different. Every year you're different. So, you know, after I got past that for two year kind of beginner gains era, just what I was doing before it, first of all, it was unreasonable for me to even try to train at that intensity and that frequency training six days a week, squatting four or five times per week, pulling three times per week. When in, I'm in the first training or after the, yeah. for, after that period just was unrealistic, right? I was moving weights yeah. that were impossible for me to recover from that fast. You know, if I'm doing a six rep max squat on Monday and I'm moving, what was I moving at that time? I don't know, 160, 170 kilos. In sleeves, sleeves, I'm not going to be able to do a five rep max at 200. Like what is just impossible, right? Like that's your biggest enemy as a power lifter is fatigue, like your ability to adapt and your ability to manage fatigue. So again, this was kind of like an epiphany of if you're too focused on the goal of either becoming stronger or improving your body composition at the expense of your health and you're neglecting your health it's impossible to continuously progress because strength and progress can't exist without health, with the foundation of health. And I think it's something that you almost have to experience for yourself. You know, what, Do you build that into your training programs for your clients? Yeah, absolutely. It's the main I don't think focus. Anybody does. No, well, and nobody yeah. does because the goal is sets reps load, right? Progressive overload. Nonsense. It's nonsense. Yeah. Like the, the goal should be, your goal as a coach should be, how can I keep this person healthy the longest? Because ultimately, if you can train for 12 months of a year in one way or, or another, you'll make progress. But if you push too hard and you eat like crap and you sleep like crap, guess what? You're not going to go anywhere. Or maybe you'll improve for, for the first 12 weeks and then you're not going to be able to. Right. I think that's why maybe in the beginning why you made such amazing progress because you did have health and you never really pushed that far. Your nervous system was just like, I feel fresh. I'm ready exactly. to go. Yeah. And I think most people just neglect that. The fact you did it for three years is amazing. And I think that would be a great piece of advice for everybody coming into any system, right? It's like, hey, like if you wanted to be a great hockey player, you don't just go, okay, let's, let's strap on the skates and go full speed. Like you got to learn how to, to stand on your feet and then you learn how to move, right? And that's three years minimum, right? Probably seven. And then people just neglect the reality in, in powerlifting and, and any type of Olympic lifting or any type of, of strength endeavor. It's just too accessible, I think, you know, because anybody, anybody can walk into a gym, right. download a program from Westside online, you know, and, and hop into like a super yeah. advanced program their first day in the gym, you know, and you'll see people with zero muscular development, you know, it's doing small, <laughs> doing small, we're doing like, you know, just all, super complicated stuff. They're using bands and chains and they're, they're, you haven't even done a full training cycle of just learning how to squat, bench and deadlift, you know? And it's, uh, again, it's just, it's goes just not sexy, right? right? I it's know. not sexy to tell people. I need, and it's, you know, it's, it's easy in, in sports like this to dive down those rabbit holes. I mean, we've been doing it in MMA, right? You, you, we started training a little bit in MMA sure. and all of a sudden we bought all the gear. <laughs> we've got the heavy bag. We've got the, the ring floor. What do you call it? The gear horse? Gear horse. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's easy to do in powerlifting too, you know, people get excited and do that, but it goes back to just asking the wrong question. It's like all those things that she did running and playing soccer and motocross and just being exposed to all that different stimulus is part of what made that base that allowed her to be where she is today. Hyper adaptability of the nervous system. 
you know, yeah. if she tried to apply this the way she was training now back then, she wouldn't have seen nearly the same level of success. And even like entry level powerlifter programs are so highly specific, especially on the tested division, like the IPF, the way that those coaches program, and I'm, I'm not taking shots on anyone, but the way that they program is so highly specific, even for their, for beginner lifters, it's squat bench deadlift and that's it. High volume all the time. And it's like, man, you're not even, you know, these people might not have, might not have ever played sports or maybe they've been sedentary for the last 10 years, five years. You're just going to throw them under a barbell with no general preparation. And then it's not only that, but it's not even incorporated into their program. So this is another thing that I love talking about is when you have the conversations about programming, yeah, obviously understanding volume, intensity, frequency, tonnage, like all these things are obviously important to ensure a progression for someone, but then ha specificity and where are you including things that are non-specific to the sport and how are you cycling them, right? Because it's impossible to be at your peak strength 365 days a year. And if you attempt that, like it's a, probably a really bad idea. So it's not only about periodizing load and the, and the main variables of training, but it's also about periodizing general fitness preparedness, your mobility and your cardiovascular health and your general athleticism and having fun with training and gamifying training for the purpose of ac accountability and, and uh, adherence to what you're doing. Because if you, if you just hit your head against the wall 365 days a year, you're just trying to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, you'll eventually find the breaking point and like usually is around in bodybuilding sure you know you just you can't do it i think the reality is nobody thinks right everyone just goes well this course taught me this therefore this is the way it's supposed to be and they don't think of where is the client or where am i in my life cycle so someone comes in new at a early in the life cycle, they need something completely different than someone who's been doing it for three, five or 10 years. And, and I don't think anybody thinks that way. They go, in this certification or in this course I took or on this video, you know, this authority says this is the way it needs to be done rather than thinking contextually and going, okay, well, where does this actually fit? Who's it fit for? So, the idea of doing squat, bench and deadlift for anybody I think is useful if their goal is squat, bench, dead. But as you say, like, well, what are the limitations? What are the breaking points that are inevitable for someone who only does squat, bench and deadlift? And nobody has the ability to think because they don't have the skills. And I think that's one thing you do really well, and probably because you guys want to have each other to push to the highest level. You get to push the gas all the way to the floor and go, keep it there as long as I can. Let's see what breaks. And then when it starts to feel like it's breaking, then you make an adjustment. And so now you've got a thought rather than just a mindless action of following somebody else. Yeah. Hey, and I'd love to shift into um, how you guys are approaching your dietary protocols in your coaching system. So, you guys coach huge numbers of people around the world. You guys have amazing success in many different realms. I'd um, love to talk about how you incorporate these principles into teaching a, a larger demographic of people. Yeah. So, I think when we first started, we, were, we supported the idea of, of flexible dieting, yeah. which we still do to some degree. But now we use flexible dieting and tracking macros and all that stuff more as one of many tools in the toolbox as opposed Depending to where you are in the continuum. Yeah. I mean, well, there's some people where it's just not realistic for or who it's not just not realistic for. We have people who are deployed in different military bases all around the world and their menus are pretty set or people who work shit like overnight shifts and just we have a wide variety of people and flexible dieting is a great way I think to to understand and learn what food really is, you know, otherwise, you know, prior to doing flexible dieting, I'm sure anyone who's, who's ever tracked macros knows it's like you're shocked by some of the nutritional value of, of the things you're eating, you know, like I used to sit there as a kid and just crush half a jar of peanut butter, you know, because it's healthy, because it's healthy and people would tell you, is there something wrong with that? <laughs> you know, people would say, oh yeah, uh, or coaches, hockey coaches, peanut butter, Great source of protein. That's a fat source, you <laughs> yeah. know? And, and not it's even like, a good fat source. And not even a but good it one. it tastes good. Yes, you know? <laughs> so, it's like just understanding what types of food fall into what category and, and getting an idea of how many calories you're actually eating. Because if you've seen – I'm sure you've seen that any of the studies on, on self-reporting caloric intake, it's always way, way, way under what people are actually eating. So, just, just learning that, I think it's a great tool for that. And then once we've sort of – established that and people have an idea of what they're eating and what, what that actually means for them, I think it's good to just focus on on habits 
And that's hugely what our nutrition director, Francesco Catalano, what he's teaching. It's 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 not like therapy or psychology, but it's almost that, you know, and it's just reframing the way people think about food, trying to build better relationships with with food and shifting that that mindset from just aesthetics to aesthetics being a byproduct of all the other good stuff that you're doing. Internal health. Exactly. And then also teaching people the systems, right, to accomplish the goals because having the goal of losing weight, gaining weight, maintaining whatever that is, is great because it gives you a sense of direction. But then, you know, what can we do as coaches to facilitate that process for you? And that's where habit building comes in. And within that, obviously, all the things that you mentioned, Hade, but also making sure that your environment is conducive to your goals, right? And there's just so many techniques that are so commonsensical that you might have thought about, but when you hear them, you're like, oh yeah, that makes total, makes total sense. Like for example, there's a study they did on cafeterias and the way that they arranged their products. And they saw that people were more often inclined to buy water if it was next to the register, or if you put whatever's next to a register, right? If it's soda or chocolate or water, like people just tend to grab that. Or if you put bad, quote unquote, bad foods out of reach for people. They tend not to go for those. They tend to go for the ones that are more eyesight. So you can literally engineer your house to trick yourself or to, to, yeah, to trick yourself to choose the right things. So it's not even a matter of avoiding foods or not ever buying the things that you like, but make them hard to access. You know, don't put, put them outside on your counter. Make, you sort of make them have an extra step to access to give you that second opportunity to think about it you know one example that i love is one that we do with steph is put put things that are high macronutrient content that aren't really micronutrient don't have a lot of micronutrients on a shelf that's too high for her mm-hmm. so if she you know wants to eat something has to be super crap, conscious yeah and she has to come get me right yeah, <laughs> so there's another yeah. level of shame you know yeah. so it's just yeah. kind of building in those those habits but you have to be super aware of like it's not mindless at that point You're like I'm, I'm having to go get someone or go get the stool to like go up there and like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like the walk of shame <laughs> exactly yeah. but yeah i mean i think it, the, the whole calories in calories out is as much as people try to hate it it's just the foundation of dieting right like you have to eat less than you're than you're burning period and there's no way around that so like Hayden said I mean it's a huge shock for people to visualize what they're eating and be honest with themselves when they're tracking of how much they're eating and then be able to keep that in their minds for I guess forever of how much you're eating and how what the value of the or how much how many calories this has versus that it's just the foundations of dieting right Steph you have a massive social media following and I think one of the things that's so apparent on your social is how confident you are and how you can easily go from like these different avatars right where you're going from you know beast and lifting to feminine wearing a dress to now Muay Thai and and Jiu-Jitsu and all these amazing things I think that's awesome and Outwardly, you just appear to be this really confident, wonderful human, and you are. Tell me about your struggles. Oh, my struggles. So let's talk about not even like emotional stuff going on, but like yeah. you're training for war training to be the strongest woman on the planet. What comes up? Yeah, there's a few layers there. I'm going to start with athletically. Uh, yeah. There's obviously a lot of self doubt when when there's a lot of eyes on you, right? There's a lot of expectations. You're, you know, you're preparing for a competition. Obviously, the, the more exposure you have, the I guess the more the potential for people who don't like you <laughs> yes. is going to be. Of course. Exactly. And they want to see you fail. So yeah. I think that when I started kind of headed towards the top, just realizing how many, how many people wanted to see me fail was obviously crushing. And at the beginning was really, it was a hard pill to swallow. You know, I did, I didn't understand what I did to deserve hate. You know, I consider myself a good person, positive. I try to, I try to make people around me feel happy. So I just couldn't understand why people wanted to see me fail kind of thing. And with that, you know, came just the anxiety with performance. Every time that I had to go to a meet, I felt the pressure of having to perform better than the last time because I didn't want to let other people down. Were you super conscious of that going into the events? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that was one of, I had to work with a sports psychologist for a couple of years because performance anxiety was crushing me. Like I was having panic attacks before stepping on the platform. It was horrible. But you know, like, like anything, you, you learn how to deal with that. And 
for me, it's I've struggled with anxiety for a long time. And the approach that I usually take is right through, you know, when it comes to fears and anxiety, there's no shortcuts, right? Like, yeah, sure. You can take a Xanax pill and quit what, what you're doing and what's making you Lose feel anxious. Yeah. But yeah, you're, you're losing the opportunity to improve yourself and get stronger. So, you know, for me, it's just been a matter of facing those fears and those insecurities right on, like head first, straight into the eyes and dealing with it however I can. So Hayden, you've been there any time that I've been, you know, experiencing anxiety or, or that I've been afflicted by what other people say about me on the internet. And it's been a process, right, of acceptance, but I think I've grown a pretty thick skin, at least when it comes to letting what other people think about me hurt me. I always said, um, eyes straight ahead, two middle fingers to the world. Yeah, that's that's that the was way literally to go. it, right? Yeah, yeah, there's no other way. And then as far as, uh, you know, being confident and, and being able to kind of wear many hats or, or different hats, however you want to call it, you know, for the longest time, I suppressed my femininity. And I don't think I've ever talked about this on a podcast, but for the longest time, I, I've, I just suppressed my want or my need to feel sexy and desired at the expense of having to play this like really harsh and like strong and dominating persona. Is that because that was your avatar? Like that's who you were pursuing? So you felt like you had to be like that? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it, I don't know why I've always kind of just like put this like really hard front. Like I would just want to be perceived as the person that doesn't struggle or that's strong. And like, it's goes against the grain and didn't want to do anything that would like that conformed with like society's norms. And that's why I like never wore makeup, never wore uh, dresses, never put my hair down, never did any of these things. And I think it's been more so recently over the last year that I've been like, you know what, like, I can be muscular and badass and strong and also be feminine. Like who says that I can't do that? You know, and it was just kind of like this switch where I went from literally wearing joggers and tights every day to redoing my entire closet and like becoming a shopaholic fashionista. Right. And it do, felt really good. Do you think it was necessary for you to accomplish your goals to have the confidence to be able to express that? I think it enabled it. Definitely just it, it made me more confident in being able to express how I really feel. Do you think if you hadn't accomplished your goals, you'd still be able to make that shift? Probably not. Honestly, probably not. I, I think I'm, I'm the type of person, and this is hard to admit, I'm the type of person that craves outside or external approval. I don't know. Maybe it's like deeply rooted in the way that I was raised. You know, the fact that my mom and dad were never kind of proud of anything I did. I kind of always took the opposite path of what was expected of me, you know, kind of what was expected of me. I had to graduate with, <laughs> I had to either be a, a, a real doctor, like an MD sure. or a lawyer or going to business and like run my family business or something like that. Right. But what did I do? I studied exercise science. I became a personal trainer. I, yeah, I went to physical therapy school, didn't even take my licensure exam. You know what I mean? Like I just do kind of things my own way and that never fully pleased my parents. So I feel like I've, because of that, I've, I crave external validation and that's just, I don't know, is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. But yeah, I don't feel like if I had, a, if I hadn't achieved what I achieved, I think maybe I wouldn't have had the balls to like truly express who I really am. I think that's the reality in life. And I feel like I've experienced the same is where until you accomplish something and you know, you're worthy, it's really hard for you to be real. Like it, I was very similar to you in that, like I had to be, have this, this dominant, strong, angry, external persona. Um, and if I hadn't accomplished what I've accomplished, I wouldn't be able to be the person I am today, which is, you know, loving and caring and expressing who I actually am at my essence. I think there's something to that. And it's interesting that I speak about it all the time. It's so unfortunate that not everyone will have the opportunity to experience the accomplishing of their goals to actually express who they are. Any thoughts on on how someone might be able to think about that differently? So rather than like having to accomplish anything, realizing maybe there's a different way to approach that? Yeah, I think I think we should encourage other people that are quote unquote public figures or like known athletes or just have a big social media to make themselves vulnerable, you know, open up and, and let people relate to what their struggles are and what they're going through. Because a lot of times you feel alone. You think that your struggles are your own and no one else is going through them and you don't know kind of how to navigate them. So sometimes hearing other people's stories and how they dealt with it and, and really opening up and explaining how you felt and what you went through step by step, that alone might 
independently of whether they reach their full potential or their goals, that alone might give them the, the, the push that they need to, to express themselves and be who they really want to be. Yeah. I always try to express to people, whether it be listeners of the podcast or people in my community who ask about that, it's just like, what if you already had everything you needed on the inside, right? What if you don't need to accomplish any external gratification? What if those rewards do nothing? Because for me, stepping on stage the Olympia, as, as much as it's a an external accomplishment, did nothing to change the person that I am, right? It did absolutely nothing. But everything I did along the way changed the man that I am, right? The, the actual end result was bullshit. Just as I'm sure like if you, if you actually hit that squad or not, it doesn't fucking matter. It's the person, the struggle, the process yeah. that you developed along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's a lot scarier in theory than it actually is to be vulnerable and sort of experiment that way that, that you have, you know, with showing people a more feminine side and doing things like that. Because I think you know, no matter what you do, there's going to be a certain, if your exposure is big enough, there's going to be a certain percentage of the population who's just going to hate you no matter what, you know, you're never going to please everybody. You're never going to be everybody's favorite. Just so can't relate. you might as well just, you know, like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you might as well be who you are. Who you are because yeah, 50% of the population is going to love you and 50% is going to hate you exactly. no matter which direction you go. Yeah. Tell me about the core tenets of hybrid. Like what are the core foundational beliefs, the core foundational values that – so if someone was coming into your world right now, what would be like the three things that you want them to know about who you guys are and what you do? I think our mission starting out with hybrid was to be able to provide people with – a no bullshit approach to training, just the real deal, you know, no 30 days to being 10 pounds light or nothing like that. We just, I kind of wanted to filter out all the information that was out there and be able to provide with people with a product or a service that actually gets them results based on their interests. So that's why within hybrid, there are 17 different programs to kind of appeal to whatever people are looking for. They're delivered in a way that is easy for them to access and it's easy for them to understand. And then we're equipped with a whole kind of support team to help them navigate the program, finding exercise substitutions, motivation, community, form checks or technique analysis. You know, kind of like a one-stop shop for all things fitness was the goal. It's, so we call it an online virtual gym. Right now we have nutrition and training. And hopefully in the near future, we'll start adding like telemedicine for prehab or rehab, whatever you want to call it, PT, Kyra stuff. But yeah, ultimately, you know, in, as you very well so know, there's so much information out there. Like there's no shortage of information. What there's a shortage of is good information and people who are, have integrity and sell things that actually work. So for me, as a scientist, quote unquote, I felt the responsibility to bring light to the things that matter and be able to dissect things in a way that's easy for people to understand. So at least my biggest passion is education. You know, training is just kind of like the way that I can capitalize on it. But my biggest passion is teaching and and. Um, Ensuring that I'm explaining things in a way that 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 just people get, you know, and that, that they can apply. In a way that's affordable and accessible as well because that's the other big thing. If you look at most other camps and fitness, it's, it's expensive. You know, you're going to pay for one-on-one -on -one coaching, you know, generally to get a really quality coach. That can be hundreds to thousands depending on who you're working with of dollars per month. What we wanted to do is sort of build out a structure of very high level coaches who can service as many people as possible at the lowest price point what is possible. So the training side of the business is out of Canada. It's $40 Canadian per month, which is like 30-ish dollars US. And with that, you get access to all 17 of the programs that we have. And each one of those programs, if it's an area outside of our expertise, we have a coach to service that. So you know, for example, the Olympic weightlifting program, the coach of that program is Fernando Reese, who's a three-time uh, Olympian for Brazil. We have Sean Lind, who's a very high-level CrossFit coach. He's worked with – sorry, a uh, gymnastics coach who's worked with Cirque du Soleil. Uh, and he's done a lot of personal coaching for the highest-level CrossFitters like Camille LeBlanc and I think Sam Briggs and a number of other people as well. Uh, and just each one of those disciplines has someone who's just you know, at the top of their, their class for whatever that discipline is. And then through our, our members Facebook group, people can access them 
pretty much at any time of day and our coaches are always on top of that stuff. We have 16 moderators who go through and make sure no questions or technique videos get missed. They'll tag the relevant coaches and the coaches will go in and, and help people with really whatever they need. So we've always sort of just tried to over deliver. You know, we wanted to to create something affordable and then give people value that we felt was much more than, than what they're paying for. Yeah, and I think it's something that we do differently than other people because a lot of other uh, either like fitness brands or coaches kind of nickel and dime everyone. You know, it's like, okay, you have to pay this for this PDF. And then if you want my uh, belt signed, it's $3. And if you want my picture, you know, they just nickel, nickel and dime for everything. Whereas our approach has been, okay, what's the lowest price point that we can set that makes people able to access this program and how much value can we provide them with for this price point, right? Instead of just trying to charge for everything. So at 40 Canadian a month, they get all those programs and access to all the coaches just ongoing. Yeah. And then we try to also do a lot of value added stuff like free webinars through the Facebook group or through Zoom where we'll have our nutrition coaches just you know pick a topic and go and talk on that. We've had sports site or Steffi, or we've had sports psychologists come in and and do free free webinars for the for the whole team, which is you know around ten thousand people. Just different experts like that. Just we just try to always just make that community feel like a real community because there's a lot of people out there who you know if they're training in home gyms, they still want to feel like they're part of a team and 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 like they have a support system. Even though you know it's just them alone in their garage, they now have this whole group of people who are kind of going through the same thing. And, you know, I think that's an additional value that we kind of add. Yeah. Hayden, question for you, man. You guys are doing a lot of great things and helping a lot of great people and I kind of redirect this sometimes is um, we all have things we're working on personally and professionally. I'd love to ask you, what are your maybe struggles or what are the things that you're, you're focused on right now that that are top of mind for you to improve as a person or as a business? Actually, my personal self-development and business self-development are kind of one in the same in the area of communication is really what we've been trying to work on the most. Is that like interpersonal, like relation, like you guys, or is that like uh, with can, your staff? It can be with, with, with Steffi, with friends, family, uh, and then just are you, with staff. Are you introverted, like non-communicator? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I always struggle with finding a category for myself because I'm definitely the kind of person I could sit in silence and just, you know, be around Steph and be totally happy. Or I could be very, very talkative, but you know, I am definitely one of those people who maybe I'm an introvert. What do you, what do you think? I think you're more of an introvert than an extrovert. Yeah, I can open up, but it takes me some time. So, you know, just communication with people. I because maybe I wasn't the best communicator. I delegate a lot of things within the business. So, trying to make myself more accessible to all of our coaches and the people who work for us, I think has gone well. In so many different directions that sometimes it's overwhelming for you to be able to get back to everyone. So yeah, so we up the right channel of communication. So we started using Slack. You know, yeah. it was huge. And then setting a calendly for you. So he has one day where he takes meetings with with um, whoever on the team who wants to have a meeting with me. I have what, what I call day. what I call office hours. Yeah. I just sit there. They can book it and talk to me. So I think it's communication and, and systems go hand in hand, just having systems for everything. You know, we, when we started hybrid, we grew so fast, you know, it, we, we didn't have time to develop a lot of the systems that would have been helpful to have. So, you know, how it started was we were, when we were kind of talking the idea through, we were like, let's even get like 10, 15 people to beta test this program. We'll put something out on Instagram and we're like, oh, I don't know if we're going to get those 10, 15. We ended up getting 400 people applying for it, accepted 100 off the bat. And then just after that, you know, it just grew and grew. And then the growing pains were just figuring out at each level how to kind of keep up with things. And we've gotten to a point now, actually, this whole coronavirus thing has sort of been a, a business blessing in disguise. Uh, not that I think this is a great thing that's happening, but it's it's allowed us to sort of take a step back from the day-to-day of being in the gym and and dealing with people face-to-face and just sort of revamp our systems and, and stuff like that. You know, we've been doing so many e-meetings online with uh, our COO and bringing on new marketing director and just building out all these better better systems and lines of communication that I think were, you know. What's your number one piece of business advice for anyone who's got a fitness business or aspiring to start one? listen to what people are asking you for i think is a huge one you know that's that's the i think what's contributed a lot to the growth that we've had is we were just listening 
you know, we started with one program and it was called hybrid performance. And we made that program because it was the way that Steffi and I trained, you know, we did powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, and some sort of training for aesthetics. And people asked, asked us for that. And that was what gave us the idea to start the business to begin with. And then after that, you know, people would ask for a weightlifting specific program. If enough people did that, we'd add it and we'd hire a coach and gymnastics, same thing, CrossFit, all the different disciplines. Uh, and it just made it really easy. You know, it's like we had all these people telling us exactly what they wanted. So then we just serviced those requests. And I think too many people sort of force their own agenda of what they want to sell onto people and then just hope enough people like that product or service. Right. And I think it's a bit of a backwards way to do it because we'd get all this free, you know, market research of just people telling you exactly what they want. And if you listen. Yeah, totally. There's so much feedback even on Instagram. So it's... Five. I'm going to piggyback of what you said. It's making sure that you understand what the need is and fulfilling that need. And the other thing that I would say as far as building a fitness brand or a fitness business is conducting yourself like a professional. I think that's the, that's the thing most it's, people make a mistake. A it really is. You know, when we first started hybrid, what do you think? We sent an email with, with, with an Excel sheet. No, we invested thousands of dollars into creating our own software that took several months and that was a huge risk, managed risk, you know, because at least we were in a, you had just sold your other business and had some cash floating around. So you were able to invest it in that. But yeah, conduct yourself like a professional. Don't call your business Steffi Cohen's fit, but you know, <laughs> build, you know, build a brand Come up with a name that's that's good and that's professional. Have a logo. Pick some colors. Make sure your email is not bpack at AOL, you know, or whatever. Sure. Like, it's, I think it's it's sort of like dressing for the role you want instead of the role you have. But as an entire business, yep. you want to be that big business, appear that way from Cross the T's and dot the I's. Exactly. Yeah. Steph, question for you. Uh, what are your three non-negotiable, non-negotiable habits of greatness? Three non-negotiable habits. Yeah, what are things you do every day? Like I, I have to, or or every week, or whatever. Like this is something that I just don't want to compromise. Yeah. Okay. So, for me, it professional or personal slash professional development is huge. I always, I'm the kind of person that thinks if you're not growing, you're dying, kind of thing. Yeah. What so, does that look like? I so I enroll in courses online. The most recent one, I try to find areas that I'm. I try to make sure that I'm feeding into my curiosity. You know, if there's a topic that I'm interested in, I kind of dive in head first and see if, if, if I see myself getting more involved with it. So recently for me, and I say recently, it's been like a year or so, it's been epigenetics. Are you taking courses? I yes. Have a, I have a really good one for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Tell me all about it. But yeah. Uh, so gene editing, epigenetics, it's been something that's been really interesting, interesting me. So I'm taking a course, uh, an online course at Harvard. I don't know why I shouldn't. Oh, it's a Harvard course. Yeah. That's amazing. So the guy, he's been a guest on the podcast recently. It's actually Dr. Dan Stickler has a really, really great epigenetic course. Sick. Yeah. yeah. I would love that. Yeah. So yeah, f you know, finding topics that you're, that I'm interested in and, and going for it, trying to learn more things that are either in fitness or outside of fitness. The drums. Yeah. So. Then yeah. Constantly <laughs> learning things. She's an underachiever. Yeah. Constantly learning things. It, it could be about anything. Um, in our bedroom. Yeah. I'm learning the drums now. You could turn that into something useful. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> maybe I'll become a professional drummer. Who knows? What else? Doing something I hate every day. So working on my mental strength is something that is really important to me. And it could be stupid, right? I, the way I see it is my life is too easy. It really is. I need a challenge. And right now I don't know what my next challenge is going to be. You know, for a long time was school. School doesn't come easy for me. I got a graduate degree and it was really hard. And that's what made it so awesome. So I'm always kind of looking for what that next mental struggle challenge is going to be. Until then, I make myself suffer a little bit every day, you know, whether that's staying in the sauna for five extra minutes when you're dying or waking up before 7am and going for a mile run, which I hate, or taking a cold plunge bath or who knows, you know, just doing something that I don't like to do. And then the other thing I do, and this last two are inspired by David Goggins, is being really honest with yourself and listing things that you don't like about yourself and trying to change them. Because I think identifying those things is the hard part, right? You you become so consumed and just ingrained in who you are that sometimes you have a hard time, 
you know, take well, you tend to avoid it. Yeah, yeah you, you avoid it. Yeah, I'm gonna go yeah, over there and do that. And you justify it, right? Oh, I'm I'm not waking up early because I'm going to sleep late, and you know what? It doesn't really matter because I'm not a morning person. And what do I even need to do? You just justify your habits like that. So just I have a list of things that I want to change about myself, and then I just kind of try to go one by one. Which one are you working on right now? The waking up early and being more productive. So that's why you like hanging so, out with me. <laughs> Dude, I seriously, I need to move into your house for a week. He wakes up at like 4 a.m. But you know what's interesting? So I'm reading this book that's called Originals. And I feel really identified with the book because it's it's just explains a lot of my personality. One thing that I found super interesting is there's two types of people when it comes to innovation and creativity. There's a t- And I forget what the names are, but there's the type of person that is more creative in the morning and the type of person that's more creative at night. And then there's the opposite. So for example, for me, I'm more analytical in the mornings and more creative in the afternoon. So, and that's okay. You know, for sure. the longest part, I was, longest time I was, I was trying to fit into this like mold of, okay, I got to wake up at seven, you know, go for a walk, have my coffee, sit down and write. And it's impossible. It really is impossible for me. I can wake up. I can get through that. But it's hard to get your brain to think in the way you need to think. It's different to think about numbers or answering emails or doing like an automatic process versus sitting down and like creating something or writing, make writing a skit or who knows. It's it's hard. Yeah. So I think, you know, being a little bit lax with that and just understanding that everyone everyone works in different ways. I don't even know. I'm telling, it's a side story there. No, that's very useful actually because yeah. – it's so true that people are trying to fit themselves into a mold because someone on not. Instagram, it's just like training we're talking about, it, right? It's like someone on Instagram says you got to get up at five, you got to go to bed at nine. I'm like, <laughs> no, that's just what works well for me. So exactly. go figure out what works for you. I'm not going to, yeah. Exactly. Brilliant. Did you have something to add to that, Dan? You said that you were. No, I was just saying that you had recently discovered that and I'm the complete opposite. And for a long time, I like you want to get up early. Not, not necessarily like super early, but I, I like to get up, have a coffee, and, and, do work in the morning and I tried to force that on her for so long because that's how I worked well yeah and you tried to adapt a little bit to it but you just couldn't do it remember yeah. you just you just end up sitting there and getting distracted because it just wasn't a productive time for you to work yeah, no. exactly. uh, something I do want to add so as far as the question that you asked to Hayden like what's something that you're trying to improve within yourself or your business so for use communication for me it's been leadership so I think one huge thing and you you we were talking about that a little bit about how you know, you need to understand what your role, where your time is best spent within the business and what your role really is. For me, it's been eye-opening to learn about other high achiever or, or successful entrepreneurs, like for example, Bill Gates, about the way that he runs his business. You know, he he didn't know how to code. Like he didn't, he didn't create many of these things. He employed the right people to fulfill those roles. And then he did what, what he does best, right? Which is to lead and to manage. So for me, that's been like a, it's it's been very recent. That's been kind of like a, a switch in my mind that I've gone from wanting to oversee every single project and wanting and, and feeling responsible for having input. Or guilty and, if you don't have input. Yeah. Or guilty if I'm not working on something with, with every single group to being like, okay, you know what? Honestly, that's not my role. I have people who are managing those teams. My role is to innovate, create, have a vision for where the company needs to go, continue networking, putting myself in the front and inspiring my team. So that's been one that I think it's so important, right? Like I think people that work with you or for you need to feel like you're leading with them, right? Like you're pulling the same sled and you're at the same level as them. So this is a project that I'm actually super excited about that I think Every single small business should have it. So it's called an innovation lab. And essentially it consists of, first of all, teaching your team about what innovation is and what creativity actually is and how to be innovative and how to be creative and how to identify needs in the market. And then encouraging them to participate in pitching ideas. So you have like this whole system of, first of all, what's the anatomy of a pitch? So how long should it be? What do you need to include? How you're going to pitch it? Like all these things just teaching them what the appropriate way of pitching a new idea is and then making it kind of like a tournament. So something fun and obviously rewarding people at the end. But, you know, there's a ton of studies on innovation and just kind of how it rewires the way that people think. And it's just, it's so interesting, right? Like people, people who come up with their own ideas then are more receptive to other ideas and can better gauge and filter 
other people's ideas. And ultimately, innovation is a matter of quantity of ideas, not necessarily quality. So that was the other thing. It's a matter of pitching like a thousand ideas, and then you right. get them through a filter, then you have 500 filtered, 200 like that that. Idea? of the innovation lab. Yeah. So I'm sponsored by Animal. And they did this like mandatory Google or Hangout meeting where they brought a uh, innovation professor from, is it a university of Pennsylvania? Yeah, UPenn. And he did like a three hour workshop over over three days, one hour each day about this thing. And then they did a tournament. And I thought it was genius because they were, everyone was on that call. Like there were maybe like a thousand people there. Everyone from like assembly and machinery and bagging and label placement to the COO, CEO, president, sponsored athletes, just everyone was there. And everyone was given an opportunity to pitch in. So it's cool because everyone has a unique perspective because they're dealing with all different parts of the business. You know, yeah. it's yeah. it's very hard for us, you know, when we're removed to think about ideas that might help efficiency on a day-to-day level for the nutrition coaches or for, you know, totally. all the different little intricacies of the business. So I think that's where it's super valuable. Yeah, and it makes people feel like they have a they have a say too, right? It's not only good about morale. good for company morale as well. They have a say that their ideas matter. I'm willing to sit down and listen to what they have to say and what ideas they have. And then the quantity part, like how many, although I come up with at least a thousand ideas a day on a she bad day. She'll literally wake me up in the middle of the night and just be like, I have an idea. I'm like, well, I guess I'm starting my day now. Yeah, you'd be like two in the morning and I'm like, Hayden, I have an amazing idea. What if we start a food truck that has, like it could be the most ridiculous thing, but I have to say it. I'm your filter. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, for so for people to have so many ideas, then that just gives us a, a kind of a, a piggy bank of ideas and better. We can pick from them. But yeah, Innovation Lab, I think it's a cool thing. I love it. It's brilliant. So if there's one place where everyone should go to find stuff from you and Hybrid, where do they go? So you can find me at Steffi Cohen. You can find you at Hayden.bo. And all things hybrid are hybridperformancemethod.com. On Instagram at Hybrid Performance Method. From that profile, you can find everything from our gym to our podcast to our apparel and everything in between. You guys are doing awesome stuff. I'm so grateful you came down. And we even got a little bit of a workout in yesterday, which was which was <laughs> yeah. fun. That's a full workout for yeah, me. That's a lot of a workout for us. <laughs> <laughs> awesome guys. Thanks so much for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.